With each mortgage-free home, the Tunnel to Towers Foundation delivers on its promise to do good and never forget the sacrifices America's greatest heroes have made for us. Heroes that put their lives on the line for all of us, risking their lives for our country and our communities. These heroes need your help now more than ever. Help America's heroes. Donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. That's T, the number two, T.org. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome in, everybody, to another episode of the High Low Sports Podcast. Whether you're watching us on Tiki Live, listening to us to it the next day, or catching our live stream on any of your favorite platforms as well, too, we're glad you're spending the evening with us. It is DJ, as joined, as always, by my co-host, Kelsey, as well. And Kelsey, you know what? We got a lot of sports to get into and not a whole lot of times. And we got a special guest that we don't want to miss for, and you're going to want to see the main event coming up, too. So we might as well just get going as quick, fast, and in a hurry. Yeah, it sounds good, man. It's been a crazy week in sports. Uh, but we'll start with UFC 270. DJ, obviously your favorite, one of your favorite sports in general is just watching people beat each other up, which I love completely. And this one was really kind of the pinnacle of that. And let's not forget, though, that is the tip-off as well, too, which is, of course, brought to you by our good friends over at Dr. Squatch. Smell like a man, feel like a champion. All you need for deodorant, soaps, everything you need that all the all, gets rid of all the harsh chemicals on your skin and makes you smell absolutely wonderful as well, too. And you know what? I was actually smelling wonderful for Francis Ngannou. The smell of that new jewel that they put in the championship belt after he retained his title as well, too. Putting on the most unusual performance of his career. He is known as an absolute, what's the word I'm looking for? A kamikaze of tornadoes is basically what his fists are. A kamikaze of torpedoes when he throws his hands. Sometimes he goes full windmill mode with his punches. just But they they have the ability to knock out a rhinoceros head on. And in this fight, he was losing the first two rounds on the feet, going against the most athletic heavyweight in the division almost bar none the way he glides on his feet serial gone most francis and gonna do he decides you know what i am the most freakish athlete in the ufc arguably i'm going to take him down with very average ish takedown skills but i'm so unnaturally strong i will simply grab him and set him down like how a like how a grown-up pick sets up their kid and sets them on the bed and starts playing around with them that's what he was doing with a full-grown man as well too not the most didn't shoot the double leg turn the hip didn't lock his hands behind it wasn't the most perfect form the lateral drop was Okay, he had a little, it was literally just superhuman strength. Like we talk, we joke about in football, they call it like farmer strength. Like the guys that play that kind of be farmers in their spare time, then when they get on the football field, they push people around. He has that times a million. Like it made absolutely no sense how he's able to get those takedowns and, and retain his title on top of it. So Francis and Gondo with the most unusual and most and a very powerful performance and just showing how unbelievably skilled he is, not only naturally, physically, but also as a fighter as well, too. And 
this comes on the while he's going with the little back and forth fist little fist of cuffs of his own with the ufc if you will as they had a bit of a contract battle he wants more money or health insurance just trying to trying to fight for those sort of things and then the rumor is the ufc actually is suing his management team for speaking with jake paul's manager boxing manager and they released the news that they were suing him right before the fight allegedly like literally within hours before so Hold it's a real on. messy situation was we it? have to go back to this for just a second did you say he's talking to jake paul's management team the, the, his management team is is apparently talking to them because he's trying to go. Out, he's talked about wanting to go and box Tyson Fury and do things like that as well. To oh, try okay, so they're trying to they're trying to represent him, not get him to fight Jake Paul. Which oh is yeah, the that, most that was the uh, no, sentence no. I've ever had to mutter on this show. Not not at all. Like like I the, the key Jake Paul's one kid. He's for everything you can say about him. I don't think he is that stupid now. I don't think he, like that's a, that's a different level of stupid. I could have only like, hoped. Like that was like, that was the, the most hopeful moment of my life on this show, that, and it, you just you just took it away from me just like that. Yeah, you know what? It's late at night too. You hear what you want to hear sometimes. But he did all this with knee injuries on top of it as well too. I remember I was listening to it on Colorcast Live with David and a couple of people he was co-casting with. They even pointed out like, "Huh, that's the first time he's worn knee pads," and they were pretty thick knee pads. That I was on, like they were th- more thick than normal ones, not just compression sleeves on his knees. And it looks, and he says he was fighting with a couple of knee injuries. So fantastic performance by him as well too. And we're gonna see how this contract slash legal thing plays out as well too. Because if I'm not mistaken, if he doesn't fight until December. He is out of his contract. His contract is technically up, but if some of the con- the champion clauses are when you have the when you have the belt, if I'm not mistaken, they basically have you for like one more fight after that, or if it, within 12 months or something like that. So we'll see how that goes as well. To secure so that it plays out, but the battle continues after the after the performance in the cage. So we'll see how that goes. And the rest of the fight card was not too shabby either. We got to see once again at 125 pounds the belt changing yet again. First, Divas and Figueredo had it ties Brandon Moreno a draw. Then Brandon Moreno start just not starts, but tears him apart in the second fight and tap taps him out. Then this first third fight, Figueredo somehow beats him on the scorecards as well too. And I say somehow as in I didn't honestly expect him to win on the scorecards. I thought if he's going to win, he's going to have to finish him early. But he outlasts Moreno, so it wouldn't be out of the realm possibly to see those guys fight for the fourth time in a row. Because right now it's there's no deciding factor after a trilogy. This is the rare one. It's one, one, and one. So maybe we might even see them fight a fourth time, and there's not really anybody who directly sticks out. So UFC 270, not a bad way to kick off the pay-per-view season at the start of the year, the first pay-per-view of 2022, but the battle has only just begun if you're the heavyweight champion. Yeah, no, look, I can't wait for wait to see what's like. This is like last year, really. I mean, it feels like you started out with a bang a little bit last year. Now, what's gonna be next? How many how many more bangers are we gonna have? And we'll get, I guess we'll have to wait and see, right? 271 seems to be shaping up to be a, a banger in and of itself. 271 is going to be wonderful, and they did just announce Charles Oliveira and Justin Gaethje is going to be coming up in May, and that is going to be an absolute barn burner. I can't wait for that one as well, too. Definitely going to be checking that one out on ColorCast as well, too, because I always enjoy hearing that commentary. The commentary teams you can find out there, maybe we'll be on it. We'll have to wait and see. Yeah, That's like, still five months Still five months away. we got time. One of these days, we'll have to return back to our ColorCast uh, MMA roots, if you will, but right now, Dave, Dave is covering it pretty well live with David over there on ColorCast, so I'm going to... I have no problem sitting there listening to him call it, because he does a wonderful job, so... Absolutely. As well too. We, we spent a good enough time in the cage now. Let's go and jump on over the hardwood where this one has a little special place in your heart. We're going to do things a little back. We're going to do two things on the tip off as well, too. And this one actually is directly related to tipping off. Yeah, no, directly related to tipping off. For the first time in school history, Auburn's men's basketball team has been ranked number one in the AP poll. And this is this is special because if you know, you've heard me talk about it before with Auburn men's basketball. I'm not, not ashamed to talk about it on this show. I remember sitting through a game less than 10 years ago in which Auburn scored six points in a half to LSU. 
And now I'm watching this Auburn men's basketball team under Bruce Pearl being ranked number one. And there's just this moment, like seeing that number one next to their name the other day when watching them play kind of brought a tear to my eye. It was uh, it was emotionally overwhelming, if you will. And it's not like this team is a slouch. The only team they've lost to at this point in time is Connecticut at the time ranked 20th while Auburn was ranked, I believe, like 14th. So wasn't a, wasn't a slouch in the, in the UConn team at all by any means. But, I mean, they've just gotten better. Um, if you look at across the board, the only team in any of the other polls that is ahead of them is Gonzaga, and that's in the coaches' poll. And we all know about the coaches' poll. Not always the best grading of <laughs> of uh, rankings at this point in time. But this one was a little special for me. I get to actually talk about Auburn's men's basketball and what Bruce Pearl's been able to do there. I mean, it's nothing short of just a miracle, if you will. I'm glad you mentioned Bruce Pearl because he's come a long way. People forget he has about a 72.5% winning percentage as a basketball coach. He's at least for people from our generation, he's known as the guy who was shirtless at a Tennessee game supporting Pat Summit at women's basketball. Like he's the, we're known as that as he was the V in the Vols that him and some of his players made as well too when they painted their chest. Like he's sometimes known more for that, but he's one of the best coaches, honestly, in the history of college basketball. 72% win percentage. You talk about the first time in Auburn's history they're number one. Well, when he was the coach of Tennessee, the first time in their 100-year history, they were number one under Bruce Pearl as well too. So, And he's been a regular in the, in the March Madness tournament, got Auburn to the Final Four as well too and was – Inches, fingertips, however you want to say it, away from was, was a was a double dribble call away from a, a championship appearance. And there you go, the the red or the green grapes. Either way, you could tell how close they were to getting the finals there, and they're well on their way, possibly as well too. And the best part is he's done it without necessarily the most prototypical blue chip recruits, if you will, as well yeah. too. I mean, when you look at the players he had, it's kind of similar to what Michigan State had been doing the previous like seven or so years, where they have good players, but none of them. There's not a Carl Anthony Towns. There's or even like what Wisconsin was doing. Like, there's not those guys that stick out. You don't have a bunch of lottery picks. For Auburn, it's Isaac Okoro in recent memory, who's a very good player, but you're not getting him confused with Kyrie Irving or anything yeah. along those lines that we see at Duke or anyone that's been coming out of Kentucky during that time. No, like, last two years has been the first time they've actually had four- and five-star recruits. Um, now, last year they did have one go in the first round to the, the Atlanta Hawks, and that's, you know what, that's the first time that you've seen a blue-chip freshman just, like, walk in and walk out one and done for Auburn, so... Uh, it's very interesting. This year you have Wendell Green, and he's been playing fantastic. I mean, that's just it, though. Auburn's doing it with, like, one five-star, and then here's a bunch of four-stars and three-stars, and we're going to make them five-stars within two years. Like, it's, it's insane to watch. Now, I say that knowing full well Walker Kessler is a five-star. Wendell Green is a five-star, and uh, there's a couple more four-stars that start for Auburn this year. So it's a little different, but it is – I mean, it's fantastic to watch. And just looking at the rest of the AP, just because I don't think it would be fair – if I don't include some of these other teams in here. But you got Gonzaga at number two, Arizona number three, Baylor, Kansas, Purdue, UCLA making their way into the top ten, Houston tied in there with UCLA at seven, Duke at nine, Michigan State, you mentioned them, still sitting in the top ten. Izzo, not very happy after the other day, his performance uh, from his team at that very poor last shot. Um, Wisconsin, K- Kentucky, Texas Tech, Nova, Southern Cal, I mean, so USC, Ohio State, Providence, Tennessee, LSU, UConn, as I mentioned, in the 20th seat, or 20 spot there. Xavier, Marquette is still there. I mean, Marquette, I feel like, is just a perennial underdog, but they're always there. But the one I really want to focus on is sitting there at 25. I mean, I'm just going to finish out Iowa State, Illinois. Okay, but 25, Davidson. From unranked hmm. to 25, and their head coach has been there forever. He's been there since Steph Curry, so it, it literally forever. Um, that is over almost – 12 years now at this point in time. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, making me feel old. 
Um, but <laughs> that's look, just congratulations to Davidson getting in the top 25. Pro- I, I feel like this is one of the first times I've ever seen them in the top 25 since Curry was there. If I'm not mistaken, it is the only time I could think of maybe they creeped in at like 25 here or there in small sparks, especially coming off of the Steph Curry run when they were just naturally ranked high the next year. But I agree with you, it's definitely interesting to see them back up there. I want to point out something too. We talked about Auburn and Bruce Pearl. I was this one just kind of came to me as well, too. During their final four run, he beat Kentucky, beat North Carolina, and beat Kansas. He if I'm that is the second yeah. team in NCAA history to beat defeat the three winningest programs in college basketball history. Which is yeah, absolutely yeah. crazy. If you could, you really almost were inches away from throwing Virginia on that list, which is in the top eight, I believe. They're they're up there too, as far as all time wins. Well, so. Their head coaches, well, it is well, well on his way to being a top five winningest ACC coach of all time. Exactly, like that is that's quite the resume you have in that one year. Like I don't, I know they don't do lifetime contracts, but what Bruce Pearl's been able to do, and since that point, he has them back at number one as well too. It's crazy. You could say being ranked number one for the first time in school history is not his best accomplishment with this team so far, which is I. Big respect to Bruce Pearl. I think he needs to be talked about a little bit more in that type of Mike Krzyzewski, Roy Williams, that type, those type of guys as well, too. Which, by the way, second fastest to win 300 games, only behind Roy Williams. Just yeah, throwing that out there as well, too. The Bruce, the Bruce Pearl hype train is coming in full force, and I'm sitting next to the conductor. And here's the problem with the Bruce Pearl hype train, right? Like Why, why he doesn't get the, the love. We all remember the reason he left Tennessee was that giant mm-hmm. scandal. Well, here's the thing. He didn't actually – he was not the one that was in front. Uh, he was not the one in charge of the scandal. Like He had no idea the scandal was actually happening. He took the hit for his players and his coaching staff and took the suspension. And that's what's crazy to me is this dude is, is like, he's a good dude. Like, when it comes down to it, he's not, not just, the, and you mentioned shirtless for the Pat Summit games, you know, painted up for the Pat Summit games. He does that for Auburn games and football games. Like, there's a, literally a giant gift going around of him in the stands, painted up with his shirtless, rocking out in the, in the middle of the stands in the Auburn football game. I mean, it's the guys there, not just for his players before the entire school which is something that if you're going to take in and, and be a, a, a like career changing coach if you will be that type of level coach you all honestly have to be there for more than just your guys and he's proven it and and i wish honestly if there was ever a lifetime contract i'm okay with it mm-hmm. or at least give him like a 20-year contract at this point i'm okay with it or you got to screw up mightily to lose this job that sort of thing like that's the stipulation the contract you have to rick patino this yeah, yeah, that's a, that's probably, that, there's the line we found it now as well too. So definitely, definitely fun to keep an eye on. Then we'll see where they finish the rest of the season. Still, obviously, pretty early in the season. We got plenty of time, so I'm curious if they'll be still able to hold on to that because the SEC tra- champ tournament's probably gonna get a little bit tighter down the stretch. And when we get that final SEC tournament, it's gonna get tight. So we'll see if Auburn can hold on to that no- one of the number one seeds because when they went on their run, they were ranked, they were really they were in like the t- like top eight, ten. nine, ten? yeah, yeah, it was, like, it was top ten going into the, the SEC tournament. They won the SEC tournament, ended up at eight. Um, and then was ranked three or two in the two in the tourney. Okay, so I'm curious to see how they. I didn't. I thought they were a little bit lower, but we'll see how they go as a number one seed this time as well too, if they're able to hold on to. So definitely. I don't don't, don't say that now. You got me fearing the worst. I'm fearing a I'm, you and I moment here. Hey, you remember you? This is the same thing with your Cowboys. You started drinking the Kool Aid and they let you down. So I'm making sure you don't get on the Kool Aid, man. I'm keeping the Kool Aid at arm's distance. We're keeping the sugar out of there. We're just dipping a little Splenda for now. Now I'm, I'm sticking with. I'm going to stick with the body armor. The uh, the the Mamba Forever body armor. Well, you know, that's a nice prelude we'll have come up for later. But- 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. But first, we got to go to our next segment. I think this is the one you've been looking forward to the most. I can't wait for this one. We get to introduce the guy to you guys. We talked about him recently are joining our team, the brand new member of our team. And we'll get to him in just a second because this is the main event brought to you by ColorCast. And if you guys have not checked out ColorCast by now, what are you doing? We talked about it ad nauseum. We, this is what we do. We, we do ColorCast games on a regular basis. And, you know, that's, that's where you'll find us every weekend. We do two to three games. But here he is. Finally, we get to introduce you to Max, the guy. If you guys are wondering why we're calling him the guy, he is an Ohio State guy. So therefore, we have to have to make sure the spelling is correct, though. It's got two E's and not one. Yeah, thanks for welcoming me to the pod. I appreciate it. Yeah, man, we're, we're glad to have you. So Max will be working with us this semester as we get things underway. But honestly, Max, you're, you're no slouch to a podcast game. You yourself have quite a bit of experience with not just podcasting, but radio experience as well. Yeah. So at Ohio state, I'm the president of Scarlet and gray sports radio, which is the student radio station at Ohio state. And so uh, I help oversee and help um, different students who want to get involved in the broadcasting field, get some exposure, some experience on the radio. Um, and then as well, my buddy, Uri and I, we host a podcast called the two man game. It's really uh, Chicago bulls centric. Uh, we just dropped an episode today, actually this afternoon. So it's out there uh, on Twitter if you if anyone wants to go out there and uh, listen to it too on Spotify. But uh, yeah, no, I I've been dipping my toes into broadcasting at Ohio State as much as I can. Occasionally, I'll get on a game for Big Ten Network Plus. So yeah, I I'm out there as much as I can. Yeah, nice. One hundred percent too. And you mentioned Ohio State as well too. You got a chance to see one of you got a chance to see one of their biggest games of the year in person. In fact, two of their biggest games. You got a chance to see those in person. If you want to talk a little bit about those. Uh, for football or basketball? Football, football. football yeah. 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 So I got to see. Uh, I I got to this season get to uh cover Ohio State football as a member of the radio team, and so I got a chance to go to all their home and away games this season, and so I got to, I got a chance to see up close the the Ohio State football team, and this you know the most recent game I got to go to Pasadena and go cover the Rose Bowl, which you know when they talk about. The Rose Bowl Stadium, the the sunset, you know, they're not they're not selling you short on it. It's awesome. It's unbelievable seeing the sunset beyond the mountains. And um, it was just an awesome experience to be out there and be able to cover that. And to see Ohio State up and close this year is just honestly a phenomenal experience. And, you know, as good as they were this year, I really think that next year is the year where they could really pull ahead and potentially become a national contender again. Definitely as well, too. And I got to ask you before Kelsey jumps in here. I know you're itching, but I got one quick question. What was it like seeing Jackson Smith and Jigbo's performance live and in person when he completely set the world on fire in that Rose Bowl? What was it like to see him tear apart that defense in person? Yeah, so I've been seeing that all year. That's what he's been looking like the last couple of weeks. And really at the Rose Bowl, when he didn't have Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson taking any of his targets, it all just came together for him. And uh, CJ Stroud was just force feeding him the ball. And the one play that really encapsulated the whole game was that last touchdown catch in the corner of the end zone where he catches the ball over his shoulder, gets his two feet in bounds. 
uh, and then Ohio State ties that one up. I mean, it was just a remarkable play, or takes the lead, rather. It was just a remarkable play by him. I, I really think he's the first wide receiver off the board in the 2023 draft. I think a lot of people have have them at that have him at that point on their boards uh, if they're thinking that far ahead into that draft. Um, next year, though, he's going to be the lead guy, and I'm really excited to see what he does in an Ohio State Buckeyes uniform in his junior year. Yeah. No. So my question was well, actually I'm going to go back to that same game because that's one of the most intense games like we've we've seen from from the Rose Bowl in recent memory. And DJ and I actually talked about this before uh, the Rose Bowl. Kind of it felt like it was losing some of its luster. Now, as an Ohio State guy, do you feel like this was the moment where it like, gained its luster back, or do you still still think it's maybe just losing a little bit of the luster with the college football playoff? Well, I think the college football playoff has certainly made it so that the, you only really care about getting in and all the other bowl games seem to be less relevant. Uh, I think that was especially prevalent with um, Pittsburgh and Michigan State where uh, Kenny Pickett and uh, Kenneth Walker III both sat out to uh, get ready for the NFL draft, which you know I think that's totally fine if you're a star player to protect generational wealth like that. But I think with the Rose Bowl this year, you know, Ohio State came in and they didn't meet their goal, which was to make the college football playoff. And Utah made the Rose Bowl for the first time in their program's history. So it was it was Utah's best game in their entire program's history. In Ohio State, they'd fallen just short and they're missing a lot of their guys. And um, it was as high scoring as it was, as exciting as it was. I think it made people really turn their eyes onto the game and think, you know, yeah, there's the college football playoff games, but some of these bowl game matchups too, they're really exciting. And I think a game like the Rose bowl really brought that out. So um, I think it got a lot of its, you know, a lot of its glamor back, you know, they call it the granddaddy of them all for a reason. So it, it was, I think the Rose bowl, it's always a, it's always an honor to be um, in the Rose bowl. And I think people need to appreciate that a little bit more, especially when it comes to a team like Ohio state, who if a bad season is winning the Rose bowl, well then you're having a lot of really good seasons. Yeah, yeah that's, that's for sure. That's actually exactly the point we were making is, is like, it almost felt like it was to the point where people were mad that they're going to the Rose Bowl. It's like, let's be real. Like you're still going to one of the best games in in, in all of college football at any point in time, and so uh, it is one of those things. And now we did talk about this when we first we sat down with you the other day. Um, you wanted to you asked us a question about our top ten boards because we did just release our draft top ten. How we both have Chris Olave in there over Garrett Wilson. Now we didn't ask you this question the other day, but I do want to get your opinion. Do you think Garrett Wilson goes first or do you think Chris Olave goes first? And then alternatively, who has the better career out of those two? Because you have gotten to watch them a lot closer than we have. Yeah. Yeah. So um, personally, I would say Garrett Wilson's going to go first. And I think he's also going to have a better career out of the two. And that's not to say I don't think I'm not high on Chris Olave. I am. I think, you know, I've seen what he can do at Ohio State. You have too. Um, you know, the guy is a phenomenal route runner, has really good hands. And he's he's a big playmaker and you need guys like that, especially in the NFL at the next level. I think Garrett Wilson brings a lot more versatility. I really have seen the way the 49ers have used Debo Samuel this year. I don't think Garrett Wilson's as compact maybe as Debo Samuel is. I don't know that a team will use him out of the backfield like the Niners use Debo Samuel. But I think that's a fair comparison to how a team could use a guy like Garrett Wilson. He's a guy you can run out of the slot. You can play him on outside routes. You can get him the ball in motion in the backfield. He's a guy who's just an electric playmaker, and he's the prototype wide receiver that you're looking at the next level. He can be in a long list. He could be in a line kind of similar to someone like a Jamar Chase, someone like a Justin Jefferson, a player who can come in and be an instant impact guy like that if he gets into the right situation. So I wouldn't be shocked if Garrett Wilson's taken in the top 10. I wouldn't even be shocked if a team really reaches on him and takes him at like six or seven, like as high as that, kind of like you saw with um, 
Waddle in the last draft with the Dolphins. I can see a team going up there and getting him. I just I think a lot of that will depend on his combine, but I I just I think Garrett Wilson just the ability for him to make big plays, his ability to run all the different routes and his agility, just his, his not just his speed, but his agility is really what's going to set him apart, and that's why I think he'll get taken ahead of Olave. I like one it. thing's one thing's for sure is I think there's a certain Ohio team that's picking at about 13 that should be looking at either one of them right now because they could both use some receiver help as well too and just move maybe two hours northeast. I think both of I think the Browns should be looking at either one of them. Whoever is there for them, they should jump on them right away. Yeah, definitely. Um, now you know this is a little bit more now. Now we got we got a little bit of the business out of the way, but now it's a little bit more of the pleasure for you that now uh, as far as this season goes. We mentioned you're also a Chicago fan, right? So that Very doesn't include so. the, the Chicago Bulls. Which I'd be—I mean, honestly, this is—I'd be remiss if I don't ask. Like, how good does this feel to finally see the Bulls be good again? Oh, it's—it's so—it's so good. It's so good. I—I'm so excited about them. Um, they've had a little bit of a rough patch in the new year, but overall, I just am so thrilled that the Bulls are back. When the Bulls are back, the city of Chicago's back, and the city of Chicago is bouncing and popping when they're doing this well. And it's just, it's amazing. The United Center is filled every night. And the team, I think, is playing the Raptors right now at home. I mean, Justin Fields is sitting there courtside watching the game. It's, I mean, the atmosphere there is amazing. And it just feels so good as a fan, especially of the team, to just watch them be able to break out and get some good, talented pieces and be a legit contender in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, no, it's it's been fun to watch. I know we talked about this again, like, the other day, and, I said, you know, if when the Bulls are good, it feels like NBA season is a little bit more. There's a little bit more to the NBA season, if you will, because it's just like there's like there's certain teams like the Celtics, the Lakers, the Bulls. I even say the Pacers to some degree when they're good. The NBA as a whole is a really fun league. And and now we get to see. I mean, goodness. What DJ, what'd you call them the other day? Uh, the cat castaways, if you will. The, the Bulls oh, yeah, they're they're they were basically the that's actually a good one. The castaways, I basically consider them basically like goodwill gone, gone Louis Vuitton. They grabbed basically everybody else's pieces they didn't want with Lonzo Ball, DeMar DeRozan, guys that weren't really wanted elsewhere. They combined them all and they somehow formed the second best team in the East, only one game behind. Obviously, we talked about DeMar DeRozan, potential MVP candidate right now. I mean, 27 points on this, 27 points per game, 85% from. From free throw line, about fifty percent from the field. Still doesn't can't shoot threes very well, but he doesn't have to unless the game's on the line. Then he suddenly rips him like he's Steph Curry. So he's he's been absolutely sensational. This is the best of Marta Rose I think we've seen his entire career. This is what I thought we'd see when he went to the Spurs with Popovich, but he carried everything from there and times it by eleven when he went to the Bulls. Lonzo Ball looks like Lonzo Ball, honestly. Everything everything everyone wanted to see. Zach Levine continues to prove he's not just a dunks a dunk champion all star. He's not just the guy that defies gravity. I think. You could probably attest to this as well, Max. I think you even mentioned when we were talking to you. They could use a little more help in the front court necessarily as well, too. It's a little bit weaker there, but what they have with those three has been absolutely sensational. Yeah, we were uh Uri and I were talking on the podcast this morning about you know potential moves that the Bulls could maybe make to upgrade their roster and to contend in the East. Because the Eastern Conference really runs through Milwaukee and Brooklyn. Those are the two big teams. You could even make an argument for the Heat being in there. They've been playing great basketball. I think they're the one seed right now in the East, too. But, you know, when you think of the Nets and you think of the Bucks, they have two guys, Giannis Antetokounmpo and Kevin Durant. They're lengthy guys who can play the three, the four, and the five, depending on what lineup you want out there. And the Bulls just don't have a lot of size and anyone they can put out there. So two names we threw out there that the Bulls could, if they wanted to make a splash to go out there and contend with a team like that would be, you can go down to Atlanta and get John Collins from the Hawks, who I've heard has kind of been trying to push his way out. 
or you could see and test, you know, test the waters and see if the Raptors are willing to give up Pascal Siakam. And those, those are the two big piece moves that I think the Bulls could potentially look at if they really wanted to find a guy who can play up at the four and the five and can guard a guy like Kevin Durant and Giannis when, you know, when you're trying to win a championship and go through the East, because those are the two places it goes through. So I think if the Bulls are going to make a move, that that's the way they'd go to go towards. Yeah, you know, twenty like Pascal Siakam one. I hadn't honestly thought about that one, and considering he's kind of played like doo doo for the Raptors since they paid him as well overall too. I really I like that move because I think he'd have a resurgence in Chicago as well too. Another hey, you know, what, let's bring a guy that's kind of cast it off from another team, and suddenly he'll turn into pre getting paid Pascal Siakam dropping thirty and locking up the other team's best player. So I I like that move they could pull off. I had not thought about that one. That's a really good one. Yeah, I was literally about to say that he tonight in tonight's matchup as the game's about to end. Uh, it, he's literally sitting at 12 points, seven assists, seven rebounds. Not a bad night statistically, but when you consider the fact he's their number one option and he's played 43 minutes, um, definitely a guy that maybe the Raptors are like, well, maybe we should get this guy off our, con- our off our books. Especially when you consider Gary Trent Jr. gave him 37 minutes and 32 points on the night. Um, Bulls, by the way, 111-105 winning that one. But uh, yeah, uh, like, you know, that's just, um, wow. Uh, Pascal Siakam, how the mighty have fallen, if you will. Considering yeah. how great, how great, I and mean, that playoff run he had a couple years ago, where he was just that dude stopping yeah. Giannis one on one, like well, he can recapture some of that. Yeah, well, also when you look at where he was on that team, they had Kawhi Leonard, Kyle Lowry, you know, Fred Van Fleet. They had some guys who could take the scoring uh, for that team, and so Pascal Siakam had to do only a couple things and fit into a role that fit really well there. And I think the Bulls could provide him something similar. He wouldn't have to be the primary scoring option with the Bulls. He'd probably be the third or fourth scoring option. And I think for him, if he's getting 12-7-7 for this team, but if he's playing really good defense on their posing four guy, well, the Bulls are getting a lot out of him. And that, that, that'd be key. And I think in a trade like that, the Raptors wouldn't want to give up, get wouldn't want to get back for someone like Patrick Williams. This is what my, my buddy Uri was saying on the podcast today. If the Bulls were to make a move like that too, you wouldn't have to give up Patrick Williams, which is the big trade piece the Bulls have because they already have Scotty Barnes. They have OG over there and they really like those two. So, you know, it could be a beneficial move where the Bulls can get a potential star that they can line along their core and they wouldn't have to give up their big young trade piece. Well, I mean, hey, if you don't want to give up too much, I still say there's a guy out there that uh, I'd be more than happy to part with in Sacramento, and that's Marvin Bagley. If you, uh, I mean, you probably give him, uh, like we said, a washer, maybe a dryer at this point in time. Um, they'll, they'll happily give up Marvin Bagley, if you will. Yeah, I mean, if I, I could see a scenario where he gets bought out, and there you, the Bulls can get him in the buyout market. Um, yeah. You know, so that's a possibility. You, you never know. I there's a lot of the, the Bulls need to look for someone to fit that front court depth. Vucevic uh, has been struggling with the shot a lot this year. The four position on the Bulls just can't stay healthy, though. I don't mind Javante Green playing at the four, though he's undersized. He's freakishly athletic. Uh, he yammed one down tonight against the Raptors when I was watching a little bit earlier. So he, he, he's a guy who just plays high-energy minutes that the Bulls that's really need. And I think if they can get someone else that they can play there that has star potential, it'll only help their team. Yeah, if you want to I'm laugh about that, by the way, DeMar DeRozan finished the game as a power forward. Yeah, they started Zach Levine at power forward the other night, too, against the Thunder. Like, that's where they're at right now. They're they're really small. They're really lacking depth. And there's a lot of injuries on the team. Yeah. I'm just thinking about the idea of Pascal Siakam on one week, DeMar DeRozan on the other, then Zach Levine right here. And then you have Lonzo Ball at the ball in a fast break. Just the amount of alley-oops you could throw off of that as well, too. So, like, I, now that you've mentioned that, it feels like the best move. I can't get that I can't get that thought out of my head with those fast break opportunities you have, right? I would be like having four Randy Mosses out there or something like that. Just start throwing touchdowns if you're Lonzo Ball. So, I hope they make that move as well, too. And my question for you is, 
So right now they're sitting second in the East, a game behind Miami, 29th to third, just a game behind. Where do you think they finished the season? So obviously we're not quite to all-star break yet, but if you had to guess based on what you've seen so far and the kind of what they what they put you through with the ebbs and flows, how do you think where do you think they'll finish the season? I think they'll finish in the top four. Um, I think realistically the third or the fourth seed probably feels like where they'll finish. I'd love if they finish in the second or first seed, but I mean they're gonna be missing um Alonzo Ball and Alex Crusoe for the next month and a half, two months. And those are big losses for the Bulls. Alonzo Ball does a lot with his on-ball defense, as does Alex Crusoe. And they're just both uh, energizer bunnies for the team. And when you miss that kind of depth in your backcourt, it's going to mess up a lot with what this Bulls team and how it's constructed. You know, I'm I'm not high on Kobe White. I was a little bit earlier into the season. Uh, I just think he's really struggled, and I don't know where he quite fits with this team's current roster. So if he's your starting guard, I like Ayo Desumu a lot. I think they started him at the point guard tonight. He brings a lot of versatility. He does all the things, all the little things that the Bulls can need. The fact that they got him in the second round is, you know, robbery. Um, so I like I like the lineup the Bulls put out in their starting lineup tonight where they had Ayo Desumu with the one, then Levine, uh, the, Levine, DeRozan, Javante Green, and Vucevic. I think that's a winning lineup, but. I think the Bulls, with their with the injuries they currently have, they'll slip a little bit, and I think they can recover up to about the third or the fourth seed. Yeah, yeah, no, that's it's gonna be interesting to watch. Now, you know, we, we quizzed you on the Bulls, but in just in the NBA and as a whole, who's the team that surprised you the most at this point? Is it actually the Bulls, or is there somebody somebody else out there that surprised you even more? Yeah, you know, the Bulls are my top one. I, I just watch the Bulls avidly as a as a fan. You know, big fan of the team, and the fact that they're this high up in the um this high up into the eastern conference standings you know i i have to say i'm really impressed with them i'm really surprised by the heat i thought getting Colorado lowry was a good move i didn't know that it would pay off like this for the team and the the ability to find good production out of some key role players uh they got um max Struess from depaul who's an undrafted two-way player and he's worked his way up into their rotation he's doing great there like they they're finding minutes from guys tyler hero starting to break out there too uh, which I didn't know that he would really put on the produ- type of production he's doing this year. I, I saw him in the bubble and kind of seen how he's trajected upwards this year. It's really starting to piece together for him. I think the Heat, you know, they also have their stars. They got Bam, Bam out of Io. They got Jimmy Butler. They got good pieces. And so, you know, I, I, I honestly didn't think at the end of January that he would be sitting in first place in the Eastern Conference. I, I really thought, you know, Ben Simmons would come back and the Sixers would be there. I think the Bucks are exactly where they are, where they're supposed to be, you know, but I could see them pushing upwards towards the one seed. Um, the Nets yeah. being a little bit hurt now with Durant out, you know, but if he wasn't, they'd, they'd still be right there in that conversation. Um, I, I think those are like the, the teams that really surprised me. Maybe I'm a little surprised too by the Warriors uh, being as good as they have out the gate. They, they were, they, I thought they'd maybe be middle of the pack in the West now getting Clay Thompson back and the way they've been playing so well. Uh, Steph Curry, once he gets it all back together, they'll be they'll be in good shape too. Yeah, no, you got to talk about uh, the Warriors team is a fun thing to watch. DJ, I do want to ask you the same question because we haven't really talked about it much. Our NBA predictions. Wait, who's been your surprise team? Because like, uh, we, I mean, it's, it's safe to say the Bulls. Kind of, we all are surprised a little bit by like, the Bulls. We had them but... in playing games, not number yeah. two in the East already. Like we were, we were surprised they got this high. Yeah. So is that? I mean, is that your team, or is there is there another team that you're surprised by? So them and the Cavs were two of my quote-unquote surprise teams when we did our predictions, and, well, they look good, so I'm not going to count those ones. The one that stuck out to me is the Memphis Grizzlies in the Western Conference sitting at third place with 32 wins. I thought they would maybe be a cusp play-in team when we did our predictions. I thought John Moran's incredible. I compared him to a new-age Derrick Rose. My concern was I just wasn't quite sure they had enough pieces around him yet, and 
Jaron Jackson shooting way too many threes when you're six foot ten. Like the, the things like that, like little things like that. But they've been absolutely incredible. They won what was it, eleven in a row just that just ended a couple games ago. They've been they've been phenomenal. They're six and a half games behind Phoenix because Phoenix is kind of running away, but they're right there contending with Golden State for that two three spot ahead of Utah, ahead of Dallas, smoking both LA teams. Like Memphis has been absolutely incredible. And John Morant, we talked about Tamar DeRozan's in that MVP conversation. I feel like John Moran's not too far behind as well, too. Like, I feel like those two are those two guys should be in that conversation, that top two, three, four spot. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's I, I agree. I wholeheartedly with the Grizzlies being a, a surprise positive team. Warriors as well, obviously the Bulls. But being negatives, man, I gotta look at the LA teams, both <laughs> the Clippers and the Lakers. And then I'm gonna go with the Celtics as well, because I talked about it. There are usually two teams that Lakers and Celtics that when the NBA is good, they're good. And right now they're bad. Like like they're sitting at like nine and ten. Like both of them are at nine apiece, and and then the Clippers are at eight. It's like, does that seem right that a Boston team and two LA, both LA teams, should be sitting below basically the eight seed? Like something feels off. And considering the talent they have, it just doesn't doesn't feel right, if you will, just to see them down there. And I'm like, some I'm just waiting for the other shoe to fall. LeBron to just finally say screw it, he goes back to Cleveland or something. I don't know. I'm waiting for something crazy to happen with these teams, but those are the ones that are surprising me right now. A little bit on the opposite side, like negatively, if you will. So it's been a little, a little weird in the NBA this year, I gotta say. But uh, so look, guys. I mean, we we could talk about probably the Bulls, but really, Max, I'm curious. So you've been through radio, you've been through fanship in Chicago. Um, what is your one moment, like as a fan, whether it's as a fan in as a radio broadcaster, being a fan at the same time, so Ohio State or all your time growing up in, in Chicago, what's the one sports memory that always will stick with you? Like, what that sticks out to you right now? Um, like, sticks out to me right now or just, like, for, like forever? Forever, yeah. Well, okay. So the one that I remember distinctly in my mind um, was from when I was much younger, when I was about six or seven, um, and it was Super Bowl forty one. And I just remember the first play of the game. I, I, was, um, I was in my living room at my house with my dad, and they had all their – all their friends over or watching the Super Bowl. And even when I was that young, I was a huge sports fan. Like when all the other kids were watching cartoons, I was watching Sports Center in the morning. That's just how I was. And uh, so I, I was following the Bears this entire season. And I I just remember the first play of the game, just getting so excited when Devin Hester took the opening kickoff for a touchdown. I remember that play like it was yesterday. I it, Even then, I was so young. And I, I also remember um, in Chicago um, – I remember Derrick Rose when he was in the play. This is one's a little more on a negative note, but I also remember just like where I was when Derrick Rose tore his ACL. Like that's that like that moment. I those are the two. I don't know. The, I don't know why. Those are the two that I just like distinctly remember in sports, at least from Chicago. Like those are the two ones that I really remember. And then I also remember where I was for the uh, for my freshman year when Ohio State played Michigan at, at the Shoe. That I mean, being a part of that experience, I was a fan for that game, and being a part of that atmosphere was like nothing else. And I'll just never forget being at a game where Ohio State put a sixty burger on Michigan's head like that. I mean, it was it was awesome to see. Absolutely, as well too. And I always remember the Devin Hester one too because that was the same year Ohio State played Florida in the national championship game, and Tegan Jr. also returned his the opening kickoff for a touchdown as well too. So both football championship games that year were to, were scored opening touchdown scores on the kickoff return as well too. So that's one that sticks out for me as well, too. And I'm going to ask you real quickly, since we talked a little bit about the Bears right there, what do you think about the new GM hire, Ryan Poles, so far? A former undrafted player for the Bears, now suiting up as GM for them roughly 13 years later. What are your thoughts on him so far? 
Well, I think it's hard to evaluate uh, the hire until he starts actually making decisions. And I think we'll be able to quickly evaluate the type of guy he is based on the head coaching hire. But my first impression of the guy is I love, I love the hire. Um, you're getting a guy who is a key component of building a phenomenal organization like the Kansas City Chiefs. He's young. He's got football pedigree. He's got good experience. I mean, he's a guy who everyone has been talking about and talking up. And the Bears put together a whole committee team to try to find a GM hire. And every single guy on their committee decided this guy was at the top of their list. And when you have consensus on one guy and the Bears go out and get him, like I, you got to feel good about that. And there's a video clip circulating on Bears Twitter of the owner, uh, McCaskey, picking this guy up personally from O'Hare Airport to get into this interview, which I think shows a little bit of your Chicago touch on his part to, to be able to do something like that and then make sure that they sign the guy at the end of the day. So my initial impression is I, th I like the hire. I like the hire on paper. I want to see what he actually does first. And I, I think once we see what direction he wants to take the franchise in terms of the head coaching hire, I'll really be able to fully get a grasp of who this guy is. And, you know, I was a little scared at first when it said Ryan and then P. I didn't see the last full part of the last name, the previous general manager, Ryan Pace. But, um, you know, I think this guy is very different than that. So I'm, I'm still I'm excited about it. Absolutely, too. And fun fact with him, he actually posted on Twitter today, and I quote, okay, let's do this to celebrate. Once we reach 5,000 followers, I'll send a random follower and like any Chicago Bears jersey of their choice. So if you don't follow him on Twitter, guys, go follow him now and give that post a like, too. You might have a chance to win a Bears jersey, too. He's at about 282 now, so a ways to go. It's not too late. Everybody watching, or you guys as well, too, try and maybe slip yourself in a free Bears jersey. Oh, I know the uh, the podcast account will be trying to slip themselves into a Bears jersey. <laughs> That's for sure. But no, that's so. Yeah, I mean, we talked about just decision making. I mean, Max, for for you, what is what do you think an A plus grade looks like for a head coach decision making? Like for him, like who does he have to go get for you to be like, I'm giving that man an A plus on the on on that move? Well, I just think the Bears need to go in a direction that's away from every instinct that they've had in their entire <laughs> franchise's history, so which has always been, which has always been to go and get yourself a defensive coach so you can build a team like the 1985 Bears. Like that's that's always their that's always their hope. They always go for the defensive guy. And the times they've gone for the offensive guy, they've gone for these guys that don't make a whole lot of sense. Like when they went for Mark Trestman, it didn't make a whole lot of sense. They got this guy out of the CFL. I know he has his NFL background, but it, it didn't work. It didn't make sense. So you got to get a couple things. One, you need an offensive mind, and two, you need a pro, you need a culture changer, program changer. So um, I think if the Bears can get someone who can do those two things, that's a slam dunk hire. And I think they should check out a guy like Byron Leftwich uh, down with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I think they should check out Brian Dabble with the Buffalo Bills. Um, Eric Bieniemy, I think, absolutely deserves a shot as a head coach, and just seeing what he's been able to do with Patrick Mahomes, I'd get excited about seeing what he could do with a guy like Justin Fields. And the polls and Bieniemy connection seems very obvious, considering they're from the same organization. But uh, the Bears have been looking at Jim Caldwell, who got screwed out of the NFL, you know, for absolutely no reason, and apparently showed up to an interview with an entire layout of how they would function in offense entirely based around Justin Fields' skill set, and he blew them out of the park with that interview. So I wouldn't be shocked if that's the guy the Bears go with, and I honestly would be pretty happy with it. He he took the Lions to the playoffs, which is basically like winning a Super Bowl for them. So, um, <laughs> you know, you got you to gotta feel good if you get a guy like that. I, I, can, I can hear the, uh, the NFC North – animosity in that one uh, a little mm -hmm. bit 
I mean, Jim Caldwell's first ever time as a head coach in the NFL's first year, he goes to the Super Bowl. I mean, and has a point lead, point lead, point lead in the lead in the season. I mean, I think Jim Caldwell is definitely a good bet as well, too. And he's a and he's a guy that knows quarterbacks. I mean, I haven't spent time with Peyton Manning, so he'll he'll know what to do with Justin Fields. He'll know how to make something make something happen with him for sure. But will the Bears be a little gun shy to get another guy who worked with Peyton Manning and is like, you know, like think about it. like you just had Nagy there and it's just like, oh, yeah. I worked with with him once, but never mind. I went the backwards way. Just forget me. You're thinking about him, Gase. You're going way too far back. I am. I went crazy eyes and not and not crazy man. So my apologies to yeah, Adam no, Gase. I, my, my apologies to Matt Nagy for calling him Adam Gase. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I well, when Adam Gase was with the Bears, the offense actually looked pretty competent. The problem is when he becomes a head coach, he's not very good at it. So I, I don't know. I. Adam Gase was not a culture changer. The Bears need a guy who's going to come in and bring a winning environment with him when he enters the building. That's If you want a program builder, you go to Michigan and you get Jim Harbaugh on the phone and you ask him how much he wants to come here. And you don't, you know, you get that number. Uh, even as an Ohio State guy, I'm saying that because we've seen he's been able to succeed every single place he's gone in his entire career. Um, that doesn't necessarily mean he's winning championships everywhere, but he's he's been able to win and he's been able to develop quarterbacks every place he's gone. So if that, if that, if you're going program builder, that's your guy. Um, if, you know, if you want to take a chance on a guy who deserves a shot as a head coach, I think you got to look at some offensive coordinators who you think could really build a good program in Chicago. What do you think about Sean Payton? This, now that he has walked away, stepped away from the saints, he has not fully retired. He is just, they have parted their parting ways. Sean Payton, a Chicago guy. Yeah. About a, a environment changer too. Yeah. Oh, I, I mean, if the Bears can get him, sure. But I, I think he's retired. I think he's done. I, I mean, I don't know that he's done forever. I think he's just not going to be the coach this year and uh, or anywhere, of anywhere. So, um, you know, if, if he's available and the Bears can get him, awesome. That's your guy, for sure. Mm-hmm. Sean Payton is a proven NFL coach, a proven program changer, and a proven winner. But um, I, I find that highly unlikely the Bears end up with him. So, Kelsey, we're going to throw you on the hot seat now. Out of everybody for the Bears head coach, who do you want to see as their head coach as well, too? We we kind of we got Max's idea. I've been I've been Brian Dabble or Kellen Moore on both shoulders, either one for me. What are your thoughts? Who do you want to see as the head coach of the, of the Bears? I mean, I still love Eric Bieniemy and Brian Dabble as the, the main two options there. Uh, I, I I laugh because, you know, I, I also have this feeling that Brian Flores would be a fantastic hire. But to Max's point, that is literally going right back to everything the Bears do which is focused on defense and defense and defense. And they never focus on their offense, especially never have a passing quarterback. I mean, think about it. Their, their best passing quarterback in history is Jay Cutler. And that's the the look on Max's face is all that needs to be said about that. It's like, Oh God, it's Jay Cutler. Um, Like, you know, it's, that's, and I'm sure if we had Zach on the show, he'd give me the same look again and probably pull his hair out. But you know, it's, it's something that, that I'd look at like, as much as I think Brian Flores could be a good hire for him, I think at the same time that's still going too much in the same direction you're already going. And I think to what Max was saying, I, like you have to go, you have to go offense at this point in time. It has to be done that you have to go full bore. And uh, you know the Jim Caldwell one, I'd read the story about that the other day, and I thought that was fantastic. But at the same time, it worries me when you come in with a game plan around one person, because what happens if that one person gets injured? And then your entire offensive like build plan, this 32-page notebook is literally just trash at that point in time because I'm sorry, there's not a single person in the NFL I can think of that'll have the same talent as Jim, Justin Fields does to back him up. 
Like that's just to be fair, like that you could get if you will to back him up. So that's what worries me about that. Mitch Trubisky is his backup. Man, Mitch Trubisky deserves more than what he was ever given, and yeah. he's gonna have his opportunity in New York. Yeah, I was I was just about to say <laughs> that that's where he's going. I mean, New York's gonna have a QB competition with Daniel Jones and Mitch Trubisky coming up, and you know when Mitch Trubisky wins that job and becomes a starter there. That's going to be a really exciting moment for New York Giants football. Oh, it's going to be a great moment for Dallas Cowboys football. You get three picks a year every time they play them. You talked about Kelsey's always been a component of the two-quarterback offense somehow. That might be your best yeah. chance to run it with Daniel Jones and Mitch Trubisky. Both of them could really play running back. Daniel Jones has a 70-yard run in his career as well, too. So, I mean, you can't get him in around the end zone. I keep Daniel Jones away from the end zone when he's running the ball. But in between the 20s, as we've seen, he can scoot. So, you know, Kelsey, this might be your two-quarterback system you've been looking for. You know what? You're totally right. I could totally see it somehow being a, being a factor. But I, I will say this. Daniel Jones, if he starts in the red zone to run, can score. When he's outside of the red zone and running into the end zone, he will never score that at that situation. So 20 and beyond, just fall down when you get to the five. Oh, he but, has no problem doing that. Yeah, exactly. Like, But inside of the 20s, the man can score touchdowns. Whereas Trubisky, I mean, like, give that guy an opportunity to actually throw the ball and, and roll out and actually use his assets, which are his wills. I mean, you can see something fancy happening in New York, finally, for their, for their sake. I just... I still think there's a lot that needs to be done in New York that Trubisky won't be able to answer for. He's still going to be kind of thrown into a situation like he was in in Chicago where he's like, oh, save us, please. And yeah, he can only do so much with that. Absolutely as well, too. So we talked a lot about the Bears. Now we're going to go back to Ohio, Ohio State with you now, Max. Doom. We're going to talk about the Ohio State men's basketball team. When Kelsey brought the rankings, they were in the top 25. Don't have quite the same steam they did last year when the Big Ten was basically everybody in the top 10 was basically in the big 10 and just killing each other while everybody else was waiting for them to figure that out. What do you think about Ohio state's the men's basketball team's chances this year going forward? You know, I don't know necessarily yet where I think they can go like in the, in the March Madness tournament, but I, I have to say, I'm really impressed with how they're able to group themselves together and keep going forward. I think 16 is a really good spot for this team is they've had a couple losses this year that are head scratchers, but a couple really, really good wins. And so I think the team, the team's the most experienced roster in the country. They have a lot of grad students, a lot of seniors, um, a couple freshmen, but it's a, it's a really experienced core. Um, and it, they're led by EJ Liddell, who's a, a wooden award watch list player. He's, he's sensational. And uh, I, I just think if you're, I, I'm pretty excited about seeing how Ohio state performs in conference play. Once they really get to the, the nitty gritty of conference play, we'll, we'll really get a good, a really good idea of which what team this is. They, they've dealt with some injuries this year. I think Justice Suing is a huge piece of what they do, and not having him has shown up a little bit. Um, I like Justice Arns as a shooter, but playing him the type of message that um, Suing normally gets sometimes can weigh on your team. And I think the the team not having a guy like Dwayne Washington Jr. has definitely shown up this year. They they run a lot of stuff through EJ Liddell, who's been able to prove that he's a legit go to scorer, but. They don't have a lot of scoring options outside of him. So it'll it'll be interesting to see how that works. If EJ Liddell's hot at the right time, his team could beat anyone. I mean, they beat Duke at home by EJ Liddell getting hot at the right time. But if they're not shooting the ball well, they can drop a game by 16 at, at, against Indiana. So that that the team is, you know, it could be red hot or they have a lower floor. So we'll 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 see. I'm I'm still curious. I'm still excited. And I think once they hit conference play, I'll get a better understanding of what kind of team it is. And in the beginning, in this March Madness tournament last year, did they destroy your bracket right away too, like they did so many other people? Immediately. It was so, you know, I should have known better. 
I, I should have known that like a team like Oral Roberts was built to beat a team like Ohio State because Ohio State would just control tempo, control pace, grind out possessions, and beat you through three-point shooting and the paint. And when you face a team like Oral Roberts that shoots the ball beyond the arc as well as they do, and they only just space the floor and shoot threes, like that, you know, I should have known. But I'm an Ohio State fan. I had to. I had to put Ohio State going all the way and first day, done. Yeah. I I had them going to the Final Four. So uh, I concur. As soon as that happened, I was like, well, they're no longer allowed to call themselves the ever again. They have lost those privileges after that one. (laughs) <laughs> that's fair so what i mean have you been disappointed with jimmy soto's the 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 transfer guard the senior i mean i feel like he's he was supposed to come in and be such an impact and i mean honestly he's sitting on the bench nine times out of ten and it, who knows what you're gonna get from him yeah you know he's i didn't know i didn't really have high expectations of jimmy soto's i really just wanted to see how michi johnson would do in that backup role and i think getting a guy like jamari wheeler has been a huge plus this team he really does it all and the Buckeyes are really good at getting these experienced guards in their backcourt. They had CJ Jackson and CJ Walker. And now you have Jamari Wheeler, like these guys that are just about six foot six, one play hard defense, good passes, um, not great scores, but that's not really their bread and butter. Um, so Jimmy Sotos, you know, I thought maybe he can come in and be a good role player off the bench. Someone who can bring some experience to the Ohio state roster and be a guy that they can get some minutes out of. But I think where he's found his role with the Buckeyes is kind of where I thought he would anyways. So you know, nothing, nothing and too much of it though. I like the fact that he went to Bucknell. That's my uh, dad's yeah. alma mater. So, um, you know, I, I, I like the fact that he went there and he's from Elk Grove village. It's about 40 minutes from where I'm from too. Oh, nice. Okay. So a little bit of hometown feel there too. To yeah. It. yeah. <laughs> but that'll do us for, for, for our main event. Now, before we do that, Max, we do want to give you that opportunity because you did mention you do have another podcast as well, as well as doing the Scarlet and gray radio so you want to shout them out real fast. Tell everybody where to find find those uh, th- those properties at, whether it be on Twitter or on Instagram or anything like that. Okay, yeah. So um, I host a podcast with my buddy Uri, and it's called The Two-Man Game. Uh, we, we are on Twitter um, at the, the number two, and then man game. So that's where you can find us out on Twitter. Um, and then as well, our Spotify link is attached to our account. And then Scarlet Gray Sports Radio, it's the student radio home of Ohio State Sports. So we're at uh, com. No space or anything. It's just the full thing out there. And that's where you'll find a lot of that stuff. And then as well, um, I have a TikTok page. So if you hear any of my calls out there from uh, different Ohio State games, I put together a couple clips just to match up my radio calls with some of the actual live footage. So if you want, check that out on my TikTok page at maxwell.cone. Uh, which is spelled C-O-H-N. So there's that out there as well. Awesome. Which, by the way, for that being said, uh, you don't be surprised if you see Max on our TikToks as well. As he is, uh, he's going to be taking full control of that one and then seeing what he can do on, on TikTok from our page as well. So that'll be really fun to watch um, for sure as we go forward. But that's going to take us, guys, into crunch time presented by Swift Lifestyles. If you guys haven't checked out Swift Lifestyles yet, you're missing out. It is clean energy for you. It's just like G Fuel but cleaner. Doesn't give you all those weird sweats, weird shakes, or anything like that, like most of your pre- other pre-workouts do. Um, and so, be sure to go check that out as well. DJ, you use you use the Swift Lifestyles we have it here at the apartment pretty much all the time. My favorite thing is sometimes you take pre-workout, you get a little bit itchy, almost like right when you get started, like you kind of have to scratch a little bit as well too. And it gets itchy in places you don't like as well too. You don't really get the itch with the Swift Lifestyles thing as well. It doesn't get you too jittery and then to the point where you're scratching, but you have to basically sprint to get back, get it yourself to normal to feel its effect. So. That's my favorite part about it, is lack of itch, but all the all the benefit. 
Yeah, exactly. So uh, be sure to head, head on over to SwiftLifestyles.com. Use the code HILOSPORTS. Get 15% off of your order today. So that will be really nice. And if you do, if we get enough of those orders, they'll be able, we'll be able to pick our own flavor as well too. So yeah. help us out with that as well too. We can get we can get some real fire in there. Help us out, guys. Plus, you know, you know, New Year's resolutions, all that good stuff. I mean, they're still happening for some people. Some people who set them, not me, but you no. know, those that want to try to lose weight, it's your best option. You go, go get the clean energy to do so. Or if you but, just like to play Xbox all night too, you can do it that way yeah, as well. Too. There's, there's, it's got something for everybody. I didn't want to let everybody in on my my dirty secret where I just play Xbox all night, but you know what? There it is. I'm just saying it works for everybody on all sides of the spectrum as well, too. Like everyone from top to bottom, can, they can find a use for Swift Lifestyle. So definitely go check it out. Absolutely. So that'll take us into our topic for crunch time. And this time we're going to do a group topic. Uh, we normally do individual ranch rankings, reviews. But this Recap. one's a little special because it's the anniversary, the two-year anniversary of Kobe's passing. Uh, Kobe Bryant, I talked about it earlier, drinking Mamba Forever, uh, the new body armor flavor. You see it in the background, the 24-8. You know, it is, uh, it's, it's, it's taken on a life of its own, but, but in two years since Kobe's passing, we've seen a lot of different things happen. We've seen a lot of players step up and kind of try to embrace that Kobe mentality. But guys, going back to his playing career, what has been your favorite moment from Kobe uh, in your lifetime? And, and Max, we're going to start with you. Uh, what's your favorite ever Kobe memory? Well, I think my favorite one is the the last time we saw him on the court. Uh, the game I really distinctly remember is when he went for over 60 in his final game. And I just remember the atmosphere of that game. They had all these big celebrities there at the Staples Center at the time. And um, they had the 24 and the 8 on either side of the court. And they were playing the Jazz. And, you know, the, the whole goal was just Kobe Bryant will shoot the ball every time he gets it down the court. And, you know, the whole thing about Kobe Bryant's whole career is that he never really passed the ball. Uh, he was – he was always going to go out there and shoot it. And this game, he really took that true to heart and went for 60. And then down and then that stretch, that stretch run against the Jazz where he just went absolutely bonkers and was just hitting three after three big plays. I mean, it was like watching every stage of Kobe Bryant's career over the course of one whole game. And then the final stat line was like your typical big Kobe Bryant performance when he was right at his prime as soon as Shaq had left. So, you know, that when I really remember Kobe Bryant, I remember just – his ability as a scorer and the, his ability to take over games like that. And that that's the memory that really is just ironed into my memory. His last game, just how big of a deal it was and just watching the type of environment that was out there and the type of people that came out to go see him play at the last game. And then for him to just go out there and put on a show, putting up over 60 like that, I think he took like 50 shots in that game. And, you know, every time I, some of them, he didn't think they were going to fall, but when it counted at the end of the game, he got clutch with it and, Started making a lot of shots. It was it was it was just awesome, and I, I remember that game a lot. Yeah, and to make a comeback win in that one too. That one was that was impressive in its own right because you already knew they were just gonna let him shoot whatever, but like to actually come back and win the game uh, in that fashion as well was like all right, that was pretty impressive <laughs> uh, for sure. But DJ, what about you? What's your what's your favorite Kobe memory? I'm gonna take a page out of the Kelsey Bird playbook, and I'm gonna give you three of them because like you do whenever we like to do things that are numerical, you like to add a couple in there as well too. So I'm gonna add a few in here as well too. So we're going to start with my favorite. One of my favorite things that we saw them was his back and forth battles with Dwayne Wade throughout the 2000s. The two two of the top four shooting guards of all time, however you want to rank them. Watching those two go head to head, the ultimate competitive to the point where they even had Kobe with the broken nose at one point had to wear a mask. And then the next time they played, he drops 40 on it with a mask on his face. So watching those battles throughout the 2000s were absolutely amazing to see. The other one, of course, when he got 81, if he had to pick a single, he had 28 points in the fourth quarter alone. He had 54 points in the second half. This is absolutely astronomical what he did in that game, and they needed every single one of them. 
because it was a ridiculously close game with Toronto as well, too. So it wasn't late stats stuffing when the game's out of reach or when you're up by 15 and suddenly you're running up and down the court celebrating, however you want to do that, like you see sometimes today as well, too. It was every single bucket was needed, and he gave he gave Jalen Rose and squad every little bit of it as well, too. The fact that Jalen Rose still has such a perfect hairline is nothing short of a miracle after what Kobe was doing to them that day. So that was that's the individual game that stuck out to me just Kobe hit 81 is literally synonymous in history. He's the reason when you shoot paper, like a bundle of paper into a garbage can, you yell Kobe. And part of it is that game as well, too. And then the other one as well, too, and it's not really playing as much as just how gangster he was. When him and Matt Barnes were squared up and Matt Barnes does that thing with the ball this close to Kobe's face and Kobe just smirks at him, does not even flinch as well, too. It's the most gangster thing I've seen on the basketball court, basically from a player as well, too. He literally, the ball all but touches his face and he doesn't even flinch. So that, those are the three things when it comes to Kobe that they just always have like a special spot in the head too. I still can't get over the Matt Barnes thing. It's the it's the, literally the coolest coldest moment I've ever seen from a basketball player. Yeah, that moment was was beyond dirty. Um, but all right, all right, fair enough. So for me, I look, I'm a Kings fan, so I have a lot of bad memories of Kobe beating <laughs> the Kings. But I gotta say that one of those memories was in 2001, and where he just, I, I mean. You want to talk about dominating a team? This man embarrassed Vladi Divox for a, a, a poster. I mean, easily embarrasses him for a poster, for sure. In the second quarter, he he told Chris Webber not to chuck the ball away after an offensive foul because he wanted to beat the Kings at full strength, so it kept Chris Webber from getting himself teed out. Then, in, in, then at halftime of Game 4, he told the interviewee that he was happy the Lakers were losing because they needed a challenge. He came back in the second half, gave 19 free throws, 16 rebounds. His final bucket was him splitting a double team for a layup to put the Lakers up by four. I mean, the dude absolutely dominated in what was a, I mean, really a a kind of useless game in a lot of ways. Uh, they were already up 3-0, and, and this was just sweeping at this point in time. But, it, I mean, it was not fair. Like, I've never seen a man just be not guardable for real. And then the, you have Kobe over here like, Hey, Chris, don't get yourself teed up. I need you there so I can beat you worse. Or, hey, uh, yeah, we need we need to lose so we have competition. Like, that's just – that's that's the Kobe mentality at its finest, if you will. Absolutely as well, too. Definitely sat two years later. Still feels like yesterday at some points as well, too. But that is going to do it for us here on the High Low Sports Podcast. DJ joined by Kelsey and our new The Guy, Max, as well, too. You'll see him as part of the team regularly moving forward. We appreciate you all tuning in as well, too, and we will see you guys next time. And for those of you tuning in on our audio as well, too, be sure to subscribe on Spotify and go ahead and drop a five-star review in there as well, too. Help us out a little bit if you can. We appreciate you guys. We'll see you all next time. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. With the new Chevy Silverado, you might be driving in this. But with the Silverado's redesigned interior and large infotainment screens, it'll feel more like this. Introducing the new 2022 Chevy Silverado. Find new upgrades. Find new roads. Chevrolet.